Welcome to another episode of the Chill by Net podcast. This podcast is created for those who are passionate about their personal development, health, and well-being. This is a platform for you to come chill by my personal stories and weekly tips in becoming a better version of ourselves and to live a better present. But first, let's chill. My name is Jeanette. Welcome back. In this episode, I will be sharing eight powerful lessons learned in the area of personal growth and wellness, which I've come to learn at this point in my life. So lesson number one, writing a gratitude journal is life-changing. So I've started writing a gratitude journal since the start of this year. It's a practice that I've learned and read about a while ago, but I only formally started practicing and applying in my life just because I was curious to see the benefits of it. And it turns out to be one of the most life-changing things for me this year. I just feel that training myself to write a gratitude journal each day forces me to see from a lens of gratitude. You know, as humans, we tend to really dwell on the negatives. I mean, at least for me, I tend to dwell on the negative a lot, right? But when we start to cultivate the act of writing a gratitude journal, I think it forces us to see from a lens of gratitude. And I think this has a cumulative effect, in my opinion, when we do it on a long-term basis. We start to be able to see more good things in our life, right? And our world starts to seem really different. Or maybe it can be things that we are thankful, but we don't usually take time to express it or think about it. So recently, you know, I actually met up with a friend and I just felt that she was a really encouraging and really inspiring friend. And, you know, I wrote down in my gratitude journal that, you know, I'm very, very thankful to have an inspiring friend like her. And I started saying about, you know, all the things that, all the inspiring things that she said to me and all of that. And I just felt that, you know, as I write that gratitude journal, as I'm writing the entry, there were a lot of emotions within me, right? And you know, I would just take the next minute to actually message her and tell her how inspiring she is to me and I'm really thankful for that. And I just felt that that is beautiful, right? I mean, in the past, I might just, you know, have the thoughts in my head, but I wouldn't necessarily express it to someone and let them know how thankful I am, right? So I guess when it comes to writing down a gratitude journal, one of the benefits is we are able to express our thanks more readily to the people around us because when we write it down in words, we tend to be able to observe our thought patterns, how things are impacting us, and we are more likely to take the next few moments to actually reach out to the person and let them know exactly how they make an impact because we are more clear about it ourselves. And I think it's also about making it easy for ourselves, right? Instead of writing 10 things, just start by writing one to two things that we are grateful for every day. Make it easy so that we are likely to stick to it when we think of doing it. And sometimes I find that my gratitude entry is just about, you know, being able to take a walk, being able to wake up, being able to make coffee, being able to talk to a friend, being able to have someone there who listens to me, you know, and maybe sometimes it can just be as simple as being part of someone's life, providing valuable opinion on a topic that my friend cares about, right? So when we start to actually see how grateful we can be for these small things, I think we tend to look at the world in a different way. And the truth is, you know, when I first started out, I only have a one-liner entry on most days, right? And when I do feel like I have more time to write, I will do maybe a four to five liner, right? So I guess when we start, it's about starting small and then consistently build up the habit. And it's okay to miss out on some days just because we are not used to it, right? It's completely okay as well. 
Lesson number two, humility is so important. Sometimes we think to ourselves that the more we know, the more we know, right? And we are better than everyone else. But to be honest, I've learned that the more we know, the more we can never know and the more we do not know, right? And actually, the more we know, we come to see that we do not know more than anybody else, right? And the more we know, we just start to know how complex humans are, how many different kinds of perspectives are there, how different can our brain be wired, right? All these things are all part of how complex humans are. And that's why whenever we think something is absolute and when we try to tell ourselves that, you know, this is it, this must be it in a very confident way, we need to really invite ourselves to really rethink again, including all the things that I've said in my podcast channel, all the things that I've said in my episodes, right? Because perhaps what I've said at a certain point in time only represents what I know at a point in time. But maybe if, let's say, the next day I read another perspective, then you know, everything else might change. You know, all the things that I've said might not be that valid anymore. I think it's okay to be absolute when you assert something that you really feel about at that point in life, but also invite yourself to have the curiosity or have the humility to know that this view might not be shared by others or this view that you're sharing right now might just change tomorrow because of new information because of new perspectives that you have encountered and knowing that there's definitely new things that you are not aware of there are definitely things that you don't have answers to right and that will keep you in the zone of learning lesson number three is to invest in ourselves i think this is one of the most important lessons i've learned and i am actually focusing a lot on this as well and when I say investing in ourselves, I mean learning high-value skills that may not pay off in the short term, right? But it is constantly adding cumulative value to your life. So for me, um, some of the high-value skills that I've been investing is taking time to learn video editing, copywriting, SEO keywords, um, you know, investing. And I think at the start of it, we probably wouldn't see how this benefits us because it's something that we are not proficient at, right? We are not able to earn anything. We don't earn any money from it. And sometimes, you know, you might even need to spend some money to learn these skills going for courses and all of that. And that's why it's called investing. Um, you have to put in some capital first before you actually reap the rewards of it. It's about the long term when we start to be so good at these skills that we can actually make something out of it in one way or another. And that said, I think it's also important to find what is it that you are interested in. It's not just about learning every skill, right? It's about picking a few that you're interested in and just start investing in yourself. It's about learning things that value adds to you, but at the same time, you enjoy doing it as well. And investing in yourself is not just about learning something new, investing in your professional skills, but at the same time, it's also about taking care of our physical as well as our emotional health. I think these are really investment because without our health, you know, how far can we go, right? Without our emotional well-being, our mental well-being, our physical well-being, how far can we go? How far can we sustain? And lesson number four here is focusing on one thing at a time. So one thing I've learned is as humans, we are just not made to do many, many things at once. 
I think one mistake that I make often is to try to do many things, multiple things at the same time. And this is due to my eagerness, I would say, and this is due to my high ambition. You know, it's that kind of mentality where I just want it all. You know, I just want everything to be fast. I just want to get there. And we just can't wait, right? You know, that kind of mentality. But the truth is, we just can't have it all at one time. We can have it all, but not at one time. You know, my partner always liked to tell me that I overestimate the things I can do in the short term, but I underestimate the things I can do in the long term. And to some extent, that is really true, right? When I start to do everything at once, you know, I want to do podcasts, I want to write articles, I want to do TikTok, I want to grow my IG following, I want to build my brand, you know, and everything. And I want to volunteer, I want to get a job that develops my writing skills, my content creation skills, and then I want to go for my studies, I want to do my master's. And to be honest, I get very overwhelmed very easily. And that's because I have the expectations that I want to do everything at once and build everything up at once in a way that meets my standards. And that is really the recipe for disaster. That is the recipe for stress and overwhelmingness. And so I got to be asking myself, what do I really want? And what is the priority first? I think it's about first channeling my energy towards that one thing. Okay, maybe not literally one thing, but a few things at one time and make those big first before going to the next. And I think that helps to not only give us focus, but we also have a higher chance of reaching our goals. But most importantly, we don't get overwhelmed, burnout or stressed out by what is supposed to be meaningful and fulfilling to us, right? And on this note, I would like to share the 525 rule. I'm not sure if you have heard of it, but it's a goal-setting rule where, you know, you can list down the top 25 things that you really want to do. For me, this is really easy because there's a lot of things I want to do. And then I'll list them all out. And out of the 25, pick the five things that you feel is the most important to accomplish, like the most important and it's a non-negotiable. And you circle that five things, right? And you cross out the remaining 20. And these five things channel all your energy, channel all your dedication, get them done well before moving on to the rest of the 20 things. And yes, even to do these five things well, I think organizational skills are needed. Organizing skills is something that I have been really, really um, looking into because I'm someone who is not really organized, but to actually accomplish a few things, even a few things at one time, I really need to have a very, very clear schedule so as to maximize my time and energy and not get burned out or overwhelmed. Your organizational skills correlates to how much you can do at one time. The more we build up our organizational skills, the more we can add things to our plate. As I build up my organizational skills, when I start to have daily planners, routine, I even plan out like what time I take coffee, what time I need to open my laptop, what time I need to go for a walk. But I think for a start, I think this really helps because when I have these kind of things in place, I tend to get less overwhelmed when I want to accomplish, you know, that few things that I set up for myself. Because ultimately, it's the process that we live for, right? Do we want to go through the process, really stressed, burnout, overwhelmed? Or do we want to go through the process feeling like, okay, I can still take on more things, but, you know, I wouldn't necessarily enjoy the process as much if I leave out those things first and focus on a few. 
And lesson number five, I've also learned that humans are more similar than different. Okay, maybe that's not really the absolute case because it is really debatable whether humans are more similar than different. But for me, what I mean here is learning to see from a lens of similarity more than differences. Right? Learning to see beyond what we have been used to. Uh, we are all used to seeing that others are different from us. We are special. We are unique. And some of us use that as a form of survival mechanism because we have an innate need to be special. If we don't feel that we are special, if we don't feel like we are authentic, we get stressed out, right? There are people like that. And to be honest, I'm one of them. And not saying that seeing yourself as different is bad, right? But in many cases, it can be very, it can really inject more loneliness and isolation more than we want to. And I'm only saying this because some of us, we are already very wired to see ourselves as very different from others. You know, we want to isolate ourselves. We feel that nobody really understands us. I was once at that place before, right? And how to actually get out of this, in a way, toxic cycle because we are not supposed to really self-isolate ourselves that much as humans, right? How to get out of this toxic cycle, how to actually bring back our balance is to see ourselves as more similar than we are different. And that is coming from a place of more compassion and empathy. There are a lot of overlaps and I'm still studying, you know, the difference between compassion and empathy. But um, the point is when we see ourselves as more similar than different, we come from a place of more love. We come from a place of less judgment, right? You might think, why more love and less judgment, right? But ultimately, that is the way to reduce your own suffering, right? You don't have to put yourself through isolation, loneliness disconnectedness right when you feel lonely when you feel like you know you cannot let go of certain grudges the negative things that people have done to you you tend to redraw you tend to isolate yourself you tend to get disconnected you know try to start seeing from a lens of similarity instead of differences and what do i mean by this right so for instance what i mean by seeing ourselves more similar than different is really by focusing on the things that unite us as a human being, right? For instance, we all have our own fears, right? We all get insecure. We all get lonely at times, right? We have our past traumas, our pain, and although they may vary in intensity, right? You might not be able to comprehend someone else's trauma. But the thing is, we all have our own sufferings, our own pain, and perhaps when we look deeper, our human needs and motivation are all the same. We all have a need to feel safe, to feel loved, to feel cared for, and to even self-actualize right after all these basic needs are met. We have many, many different things as a human being, but more often than not, there are many similar things that we can come to see. Right? When we start to see from a lens of more similarity rather than differences, I feel that we will naturally feel a greater sense of belonging because our thoughts shape our reality and how we perceive the world. We feel a sense of greater connectedness. And it's this sense of connectedness that fulfills our human need, our need for love. So for instance, if someone has done something wrong to you or someone is shouting at you because they have a bad day or, you know, they just cannot control their emotions, right? Think of a time when you are like that as well, right? Think of a time where you have done wrong to someone. Think of a time when you make a mistake. Think of a time where you know, you did not do justice 
Think of a time where you wanted to do something, but you were too lazy to do it. Or think of a time where you have hurt someone, right? At that point in time, what do you need more of? Ask yourself, what do you need more of, right? And when you do this, you can also come to see that maybe sometimes the person that is doing wrong to you at that moment also needs the same thing. Because as humans, we are more similar than different, right? So this is what I mean by seeing more from a lens of similarity rather than difference. Lesson number six, love your weirdness and make something meaningful out of it. So this lesson is about thinking of the times where you're weird, you're different, right? So this is kind of like the opposite of point number five. This is where seeing yourself as different will help. So I think it's also about learning to think of the times where you are different, how you think differently, how you behave differently, how you feel differently as compared to the average person in certain aspects of your life, right? Like you just know it because you feel in your bones that you're just very different. You know, times when you feel a certain way and you're sure that, you know, 90% of your friends wouldn't feel that way and you figure out that that is what makes you weird and different from others because you know that others don't feel the same way you do. And that is actually very common, right? So as much as as humans, we are very similar, we are also very different. But it's about how we want to, um, you know, shift our lenses. So things that really makes you different are your life experiences, what you have been through, your tendency. And all these things, right, I think it's about making something meaningful out of it. And that is how can you actually make sense of all these weirdness and differences? you know, other than letting it lead you from feeling disconnected and more isolated from others, right? When you make something meaningful out of it, what I mean is, is either you kind of share it to help others who can relate to the same, because there is definitely someone out there that can relate to you, right? Maybe not within your social circle, but definitely someone out there. And with the online world now, I think that's the beautiful thing. We can make blogs, videos, TikToks, you know, we can share it, we can express it, we can express our weirdness instead of hiding it. And you'll be surprised at how liberating that feels, you know, that liberation comes from the fact that you are able to verbalize whatever that you are going through. And that may connect you with someone that feels the same. And, you know, as a result, you know, you feel loved, you feel connected. And also sometimes you can even feel like you have helped someone, inspired someone or relate to someone, right? And all these things goes back to fulfilling our need for connection again, right? So the end goal is always the same, right? Is to really feel connected at the end of the day. To feel love, to feel the love and fulfillment through connection, right? So I think both perspectives are important, but it depends on the context as to which perspective to use, right? Whether you want to see humans as more similar than different, you know, or we want to see ourselves as more different than similar. Oftentimes, I think we tend to see ourselves as very, very different from others when someone tends to do something negative to us, right? And that will result in us being more isolated, more redrawn. Yeah, and then when we feel like we have something unique and weird about ourselves and different, we are so scared to share it, right? We are, we are honestly like just so scared to share it because we feel that we are different and nobody really understands us. And that propels us to, you know, isolate ourselves, keep things to ourselves, not share because we think that nobody else will understand, right? But it's actually the opposite of that, right? It's about sharing our weirdness 
And it's about making something meaningful out of it such that it links back to us being more connected again. So if you're feeling very, very, very different, then actually there is an immense potential out there for you to impact others. Your motivation, your drive is definitely there because the more different you think you are and the more weird you think you are, you probably also crave a higher need for being understood and being accepted. And let this be your motivation to go out there to do something meaningful with your differences and your weirdness. So I've just recently decided to create a new series on TikTok. It's called Net to Net. Um, it's really a series to share a bit more on my personal tendencies, some of which I still haven't had a chance to make sense of, right? I'm still learning. So I just thought it would be fun to do that, right? And there is a sense of liberation and fulfillment when I create such a you know, new series. Firstly, it comes from creating the new series. And secondly, it's about having another platform to actually self-express some of the weirdness within me, right? I love this kind of stuff. And so recently, I've decided to name it the Net to Net series. And it's a series to document and celebrate all of my weirdness that I face on a daily basis. And I think it's also a way for me to make mental health and psychological concepts more fun and relatable. I think it's more fun to the people consuming the content, right? And I think it's more fun for me as well. Feel free to check it out on my TikTok channel. Um, you'll find some of the videos that I've already created there. And I think this is one of the most important lessons out of the eight lessons learned. Because of how liberating it can be, how beneficial it can be for your mental health, your well-being, but at the same time, it also impacts others. It can perhaps be great for others' well-being as well. It's a win-win in that sense. Lesson number seven, rethink how we construct our opposites. So maybe more broadly speaking, you know, in a way, it's about unlearning the way we see things, assume lesser. So for example, we all know that people can tell us to be more logical and not be so emotional, right? Logical and emotional, okay? Or maybe they can tell us to be more rational, and less emotional, right? Because they assume that these two words are opposite terms, right? They assume that having more of rationality means that you have less emotions. And then sometimes people even downplay their emotions because they think it's the way to have more rationality. Well, but I have learned or rather figure out that, you know, the opposite of rationality isn't emotionality. The opposite of rational isn't emotional, right? We always like to say that this person is more logical and rational and that person is more emotional, right? And we say it as though these things are on the same spectrum and they are opposite of one another, but they are really not, right? We can have someone who is really highly rational, but at the same time, they are very in touch with their emotions. They are really emotional as well, right? Also, it depends how we define the term emotional. And that's just one example, right? And that couldn't be further away from the truth. We can be both rational and intuitive and emotional at the same time. And on the other hand, we can also be irrational and not emotional and not intuitive, right? And we can always assume, you know, the opposite of sad is happy, right? The opposite of connected is lonely. But actually, you know, the opposite of sad is not sad, but that doesn't mean it's happy. The opposite of connected is not connected, right? But that doesn't mean we are lonely. And the opposite of lonely doesn't mean connected, but it just means not lonely, right? So I guess one thing I've learned is we like to form our own 
opposites based on what we have learned and heard. And there are many things to unlearn, right? You know, let's learn to not see the world as so black and white. You know, we can be more than one thing at the same time. I think it's about challenging ourselves to see more possibilities, more permutations, you know, in a given situation, in a given context. And lesson number eight is to follow your heart. The definition of following your heart can mean different things to different people. So one might think that you shouldn't be following your heart or intuition because, yeah, we shouldn't be acting out of our emotions, right? Maybe on days where we don't feel like getting something done, we don't feel like getting our responsibilities fulfilled, then, yeah, one might say that we shouldn't be following our heart and we shouldn't be acting on our feelings because like that, we might just not get anything done, right? If we wake up feeling really, you know, just not feel like doing anything, does that mean that we should just follow our heart and just not go to work and fulfill our responsibilities? So following our heart is not about that, right? I think the point here is really about taking a good look into your heart, looking at your heart at a deep, deep, deep level. Ask yourself, what is it that you truly want? If you truly want to be an unhealthy, lazy person who doesn't prioritize your well-being, then yeah, you can skip that workout, you can skip that walk, you can skip your breakfast, right? But if you actually look deeper into your heart and if you actually realize that what you want is to really be fit and what you want is to be a functional and healthy person and you care about your well-being deep down and you care about it a lot, then following your heart in this case just means making a conscious decision to act on what best serves your deepest, deepest, deepest desire. And I think this part usually involves our values and figuring out what really matters to us, right? What is it that we want to live by? A classic example is, you know, we can dread going to the gym, we can really dread working out, but once we do it, we might feel good about ourselves, right? We might feel fulfilled because it is connected to our goals and it's connected to our values, right? And I think that is what I meant by following our heart and intuition. You know, think of what is it that will really energize us, right? What is it that will really make us feel really warm and loved and energized i think those are the things that are usually connected to our deeper goals and values and not just those fleeting moments of impulses or temptations right so another example is also for example if you just look at your heart you might think that nobody understands me and hence i think it's better to just isolate my heart tells me that it's better to isolate myself avoid small talks avoid eating lunch with people avoid minimize social interactions because I feel safe this way, right? I feel like it's really safe. It makes me feel like less stressed out and all of that, right? And assuming that if, let's say, if I look deeper and if my deep, deep desire is to actually connect with others, is to feel more loved, is to improve my relationship skills, if my desire is to want to be a better person for somebody else and to connect with other people, then if that is what my heart is telling me deep, deep down, right, instead of what is telling me on the surface level, then I think it's about following that, right? And I'm just saying this because this is also what I've experienced, right? I used to think that my heart is telling me that I do not want to connect with people and hence, it's okay, I just follow my heart. I'm self-sufficient. I do not need any love, right? Love is not priority for me. But on a deeper look, deep down, I know that 
I crave connection. And in fact, I live to make meaningful connections, relationships with others. And if I look deep down, and this is my deep desire, right, then following my heart means that I will do things that will bring me closer to this value, bring me closer to what I really want deep down. All right, so those are my eight lessons learned. I hope some of those will be beneficial for you and I hope you enjoyed hearing them. And because I think this is a series on mindfulness, I think cultivating mindfulness was actually one of the greatest gifts for me because to some extent, it had allowed me to reflect on all the above. When we pay attention more to our food, our surroundings, as a form of cultivation of awareness and noticing, right? And including writing a gratitude journal where I force myself to look into myself at a given moment, right? I think all of these forms the practice of mindfulness, right? It's just being able to be aware at a given moment of what is within us and outside of us, right? And I think it just kind of comes more naturally the more I do it. I would say a greater percentage of my day is made up of more mindful moments as opposed to autopilot moments. Again, I'm not exactly sure whether the opposite of mindfulness is autopilotness. I somehow do think that you can still find mindfulness in autopilotness, right? You can still find the act of being present and aware even though you are doing very habitual stuff. So again, right, I think, you know, I need to be careful about using these two terms as direct opposites because they can overlap and we can have both, right? We can, we can be high on both. The irony, right? The more we do mindfulness, it actually becomes a muscle memory and it becomes a habitual thing, right? To be mindful. And just to share what I've learned in my mindfulness class previously, attitudes of mindfulness includes gratitude, non-judgment, patience, a beginner's mind, trust, non-striving, acceptance, letting go, and generosity. And as you look at the reflection in this episode, I think it does to some extent demonstrate some of these values. And these are the qualities that I have also been cultivating unknowingly. And to end off, I just want to say that I'm 28 and there's really so much to look forward to this year. I will continue my practice of keeping a gratitude journal. I really do hope that you can join me as well and let me know how your experience have been if you start keeping one. What are your challenges? You know, how has it benefited you if you decided to start keeping one? All right, and see you next month. Thanks for chilling in. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe. You can also connect with me on Instagram at chillbynet or my website chillbynet.com to join the conversation and access our show notes. Have a great day and we'll chill again very soon.